Uh, There are a lot of words that only Christians understand. Christian jargon. Jargon means terminology or I don't know how to describe jargon, but it's words that only we understand. Maybe it's a special word like eschatology or trinity or sanctification or propitiation that, well, lots of Christians don't understand what those words mean, but it means nothing to people outside the church. That can be jargon. Or maybe it's a phrase that just seems like nonsense, like washed in the blood of the Lamb or invite Jesus into your heart. That can be jargon as well. Uh, There's lots of old hymns that use jargon, like Rock of Ages, cleft for me. I don't think we use that word cleft anymore. It means open or path, I think. Uh, There's another phrase in a a hymn we sometimes sing that says, crown him with many crowns, and it includes the, the line, crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. Now, that's so sublime, I'm not even sure what it means, but we need to think about the words we use. It sounded good 200 years ago, I'm guessing, but it's pretty meaningless today, especially if English is not your first language. Some jargon seems to go in and out of fashion, like born-again Christian. Born-again Christian. Uh, It used to be, people said it, to distinguish between real Christians and another sort of Christian, maybe a social Christian, the super committed versus the less intense, more level, balanced sort of churchgoer. Uh, Maybe you remember Jimmy Carter, the 1976 presidential election campaign in America and he created quite a stir by very publicly declaring that he was a born-again Christian. Now, everyone who runs for the American presidency will all say they're Christian, otherwise you pretty much can't get elected, I'm guessing. But he wanted to distinguish himself from those other politicians who would only go to church if they thought they would get some political mileage out of it. Well, maybe a non-Christian has said that to you with a a sneer in his voice. You're not one of those born-again Christians, are you? as if there's any other sort. Like if you were another sort, that would be okay, but just not a born-again one. But what we're going to see from John chapter 3 is that there's actually no other sort of Christian. If you're a Christian, then you are a born-again Christian. There's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian because being born into God's family is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It's why Jesus came. In John chapter 3 we meet a person who makes the same mistake lots of Aussies do, that you can take Jesus as you please but not get too serious about it. You can be mildly interested in Jesus on your terms, according to your rules. His name's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council He's at the top of the tree as far as religious people go. An expert on the things of God. That's what they thought. They thought if they could just keep all the rules, every single one, then God would send in his new kingdom a whole new system. Nicodemus, well, he'd been watching Jesus 
and looking at the signs and he's got some ideas and he wants to run them by Jesus. He wants to see what, if he's on the right track. He can't do it in public, so verse 2, he slips out to see Jesus at night in the darkness when no one else could see. And he says, Jesus, I've been watching, I've seen the signs and from what I know about God, he sent you. Is it a question? It's not so much a question as a statement. An invitation, I think, for for Jesus to respond, uh, to fill in what Nicodemus is missing. And Jesus' reply is very interesting, verse 3. The verse Jimmy Carter was talking about when he said he was a born-again Christian, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. In other words, you've seen the signs, they point to the kingdom, but you can't see anything. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Now, we miss a little bit of the depth of what Jesus is saying. If you look in your Bible, most Bibles at the, the bottom in the footnote have a, uh, an extra translation because the word again also means above. So Jesus is telling a bit of a dad joke. It's a, it's a pun. He's saying, you must be born from above or you must be born again. The word means the same thing. And whichever one Jesus meant, it doesn't really matter, I don't think. I think he probably meant both. He meant to create some misunderstanding. It doesn't matter because to be a Christian, to truly understand the things of God, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above as well. Only God can do that, can make you one of his children. You might remember back in chapter 1, verse 12, it said, To all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor a human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Jesus gives the right for God to make someone new on the inside, to give them a new heart, a new orientation, a new desire to live for God as the goal and centre and focus of their life. Only God can do it. You can't give yourself new birth any more than you can give yourself a heart transplant. To see the kingdom of God takes much more than just trying harder, getting a fresh start or putting your past behind you. It's a radical change that's so complete. You're a different, it's like you're a different person. Only God can do it. Poor old Nicodemus just is lost at Jesus' words. It just doesn't compute. So verse 4 he says, How can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. And so Jesus tries to explain it again, verse 5. Same reality, different words. You talk about entering, well I'll talk about entering. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound and can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. 
You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Born again, born from above, born of water and the spirit, all mean the same thing. Now, born of water and the spirit, people have taken that to mean all sorts of things, but I think the answer is pretty obvious. And the clue is, Jesus thinks Nicodemus should have found it obvious too. In verse 7 he said, you shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. And in verse 10 he says, you're Israel's teacher and don't you understand these things? In other words, Jesus is saying, you're the expert in the scriptures. It's right there. God promised that he would do these things. You should have been looking for these, this new birth. And sure enough, Jesus is right. Back in Ezekiel chapter 36, the people have been exiled to Babylon and God promises that he's going to bring them back into the land but not just relocate them. He's going to do something even more amazing. Uh, listen to what he'll do. Ezekiel 36:24. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. God's talking about doing one thing but in lots of different ways. He'll put his spirit in his people. He'll forgive their sins, just like washing them clean with water. He'll take their heart of stone away and give them a a new heart. He'll give them a spiritual heart transplant and he'll give them the desire and the ability to follow his laws. God does it all. They don't do anything. It's just like being born again. It's a picture God fills out in the next chapter of Ezekiel, chapter 37. There's an old song you might have heard uh, about dead bones coming to life. God breathes his spirit into the bones and they come to life. Ezekiel 37, verse 5, The Sovereign Lord said to the bones, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put my breath in you and you will come to life. Then you'll know that I'm the Lord. A few verses on he explains what what that whole picture means. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the house of Israel. They say we're dried up and our hope is gone. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. God promised his people new birth. Israel should have been hoping for it. Nicodemus should have been waiting for it. Uh, That was the kingdom he should have been looking for, that God was going to make people born again, born by his spirit. But Nicodemus missed it. And all he could do is ask the question, how can this be? 
And Jesus goes on to answer, well, how does that happen? How can someone be born again? From verse 11, Jesus says it's about believing, trusting Jesus, firstly, trusting his words. Jesus is the one who's got the inside information. He's come from heaven. He's going to tell you about God. He's the only one who can do that. But then verse 14, not just Jesus' words, but you also have to believe his works, that Jesus was lifted up for your life. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And then the verse that a lot of us know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So what is it with Moses and the snake? Jesus is thinking of yet another Old Testament story. Nicodemus would know it well. Numbers 21, Israel is in the wilderness, they're bitten by snakes and they're dying by the thousands and God says to Moses, make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole. You can see doctors have a little badge with that same symbol on it these days. Tell the people to look at the snake on the pole and they'll be healed. All they have to do is to trust God's promise to look at the snake and they'll be saved. And what Jesus is saying is it's the same with his work. He is God's solution to the problem of sin and rebellion and death, just like Moses and the snake in the desert. The Son of Man must also be lifted up. Lifted up, nailed to a cross, dying a death that we deserve, it's as we look to him in faith that God forgives us, washes us clean and makes us born again. Nicodemus says, how can this be? Jesus says, believe my words, believe my work. I reckon one of the most exciting things that's ever happened to me was being there for the birth of our first child. Those of us who are parents will probably say the same thing. Uh, Our first child, Alex, it was grand final day, 1990. I can't remember who played, but I do remember Alex. Uh, All thick black hair and squashed face. And I said, g'day. And it was one of the most exciting days of my life, being there when a new life came into the world. But there's something just as exciting as that and that's seeing someone born again. I first met Grant when he became engaged to Louise, the daughter of members of our church. He was Maltese, he came from a Catholic background, he knew almost nothing about the Bible. I took a group of people through the Introducing God course. Others came and went but Grant didn't miss a week and at the end of that time... He said he agreed with it all and he wanted to keep finding more. He became a regular at church and even though I never saw a dramatic moment of change, I saw strong, consistent change come over him. He's growing in grace. He listened intently during church. He, on the train to work, he reads his Bible and listens to John MacArthur sermons He reads and prays with his family. He's hungry to know the things of God. He's been born again. 
Or there's Robert, an elder from my previous church. Now he's an elder but he spent most of his life thinking he was doing alright as he sat in church until in his 50s he did the Christianity Explained course and he realised for the first time that he was a sinner who needed God's forgiveness. It was only by looking to Jesus that he could receive forgiveness. And in his 50s he was born again after spending his life in the church. Or in our church, there are people like Sid or David Lim or Mike Noonan. Talk to them sometime about how they began life living one way but then God turned them inside out and gave them a new heart and washed them clean and things have never been the same for any of them. But what about you? Maybe it was a dramatic turning point or maybe it's just been gradual. Maybe you can't even put your finger on on when it happened. But whatever it was, coming to a point of faith in Jesus marks a new birth. You've been turned inside out, given a heart transplant. Now, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I wonder if I really am born again. Maybe you can't remember a point in time where something dramatic happened. Maybe there's been no sort of experience. That's okay. Lots of people are like that. But let me give you a simple test. Uh, Ask yourself this. Have I trusted the one who was lifted up on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin? Have I put my faith in him? Trusted his words and his work? If you haven't done that, I'd love to help you to do that. You know, it's possible that you may have been sitting in church for years. That's the way it was for Robert. It's possible to be a fully signed up religious person and still be trusting yourself, trusting your own goodness, your own performance and not have put your faith in Jesus who came and died and rose from the dead so you could be forgiven and made, being born again. In the end, you're just like that very decent Nicodemus who comes and goes and we don't know, at least at this stage, what his decision is. If you think your answer to that question is yes, you have trusted Jesus, then let me ask a second question. If you've been born again, you'll never think or speak or act the same way again. Something will have changed. It comes out in the next paragraph in John 3. Do you love the light? Are you leaving behind the darkness? Uh, Verse 19. Uh, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Uh, Verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and won't come into the light, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. There's the test. People who trust Jesus, they're leaving behind the darkness. The evil deeds and the thoughts that used to occupy them because they've been born again and instead they're living in a kingdom of light where Jesus rules. That's the sort of proof 
that you, that, that someone has been born of God? Is that the sort of evidence your life shows? Has God washed you clean and made you a new creation? Is that new birth plain for other people to see? If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? The people who know you look at you and say, there's something different about you. You're not the same as what you used to be. If God is doing a work in you, there should be changes. You should be a born-again husband, a born-again wife, a born-again son or daughter, a born-again employee, a born-again father, a born-again thinker and speaker, a born-again giver and server, a born-again TV watcher and book reader, a born-again church member, a born-again prayer. Does your life show the evidence that God has given you new birth, evidence that you're following your King and Saviour Jesus into the light? That's evidence only God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your work in our life. We thank you that you longed for that day when you would bring new birth to people through Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life that stands in our place. We thank you for his death that pays the penalty for our sin. We thank you for your action of washing us clean and making us new. Help us to live in the light. Lord, for any here this morning who don't know you, we pray that you would help them to trust Jesus, to turn away from trusting themselves and to walk in the light. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.